Matthew, Mark, Luke, and verse 7 of chapter 2. And she, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. It seemed appropriate that as we do from time to time, maybe every second or third year or something like that at this time of the year, to get around and look at some of these verses again. Maybe others do it more frequently than that. And uh, the world, of course, suddenly is aware that there was uh, a birth that took place and the little scenes we see around the place and, and uh, paintings and pictures and cards and uh, all that goes with it. And I thought we might just have a look at what it really is all about, uh, just alluding to some of the aspects that perhaps the world has uh, been misinformed in. And so in verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son. Just before we get into it, we might point out for the sake of uh, uh, the Roman Catholic people, who've got their uh, doctrine of perpetual virginity for, for Mary, in other words, Mary ever virgin. Uh, the Bible here speaks about, in this place, her firstborn son, which of itself implies a second and a thirdborn or whatever. And not only that, the in Bible and else, other places speaks about the actual names of his brethren and implies that he had perhaps at least three sisters. And uh, the Bible would make it quite clear that Jesus Christ was not the only uh, son of Mary, but, of course, they had other children, Joseph and Mary, but she was the one overshadowed uh, by the Holy Spirit in this case. We read, And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. They, the manger there means stable, and so because of the time of the uh, taxes and uh, things that were taking place, there was no room in the normal place in the inn. What a, I suppose a good example as we read there of exactly what's taking place in the world today, really. Every now and again, at Christmas time, we suddenly become aware uh, that he's uh, alive or maybe it was alive or something or other or there was a birth, there were some uh, moments to consider. But basically, the world doesn't have time or room for Jesus Christ in their lives. As far as the rest of the year is concerned, apart from perhaps Easter and Christmas, Jesus Christ doesn't really rate a mention. Oh, there are some, as we well know, who are titled off to their church meetings and their church activities, but basically, as far as the full message of Jesus Christ is concerned, the Word of God, which Jesus Christ was, made in the flesh, and he came to give us the, the good news and the, the principles and the will and purpose of God, as far as the, the full embracing of Jesus Christ is concerned, then there's no room. People just simply have not got the space for him. Their lives are filled, their lives are, are occupied in one way or another, and right from the very time he was born here, there wasn't room for him in the, in the proper place. He had to go out where the animals were in the stable. And so it was through his ministry, all the way through, they really couldn't accommodate him. They really couldn't find a place in their hearts, in their thinking, their attitude for this Jesus Christ. In fact, so much so was he contrary to their ideas and concepts of things, they crucified him. And people are still doing that. They're betraying him, they're crucifying him. As far as the word of God is concerned, they're trampling the Son of God underfoot. There is no place in their life proper for him. He just takes a, a secondary or a, a third role out there somewhere or other with all the, the other things that people are doing and uh, every now and again he gets a little bit more recognition. In verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And we know, but we've seen these verses before, that certainly uh, puts pay to the concept that he was born on the 25th of December. There's no way known in that uh, locality and the climate they had that the shepherds would have been out uh, abiding in the fields by night. They would have frozen to death. 
uh, more than likely, uh, perhaps uh, uh, late October uh, would have been uh, the end of things and uh, maybe even mid-October as far as abiding in the field was concerned. And uh, not that the Bible gives any indication, nor does it really matter, but more than likely uh, Jesus Christ was born probably in the beginning of October somewhere other. So it's not true that uh, Jesus Christ was born in December. And indeed, uh, our encyclopedias all tell us this. The World Book Encyclopedia says, the exact date of Christ's birth is not known. The early Christians did not celebrate his birth because they considered it to be a pagan custom. The first mention of the observance of Christ's birthday appears around about 200 AD. For many years, several dates were used and December the 25th was first mentioned in 336 AD, over 300 years after the birth of Christ, of course. The Encyclopedia Britannica says, speaking about Christmas, a descent from seasonal, pagan, religious and national practices hedged about with legend and tradition. Pretty well sums it up. The Encyclopedia Americana says, Christmas, according to many authorities, was not celebrated in the first centuries of the Christian church, but was established in the fourth century. And in the fifth century, the Western church ordered it to be celebrated uh, on the day of the old Roman feast of the birth of Sol, S-O-L, as no certain knowledge of the exact day of Christ's birth existed. The Catholic Encyclopedia says, the well-known solar feast of Natalis Invicti, if that's how you pronounce it, the Nativity of the Unconquered Son, S-U-N, celebrated on December the 25th, has a strong claim on the responsibility for our December date. So they admit that it's all hedged about with the tradition and pagan customs and old feast days and so on, and this particular special feast day of the Romans was very much associated with the Feast of Saturnalia, which went from the 7th of December to the 24th of December. And the World Book Encyclopedia describes that old Roman festival a long time before the birth of Christ. It says, A festive occasion, schools closed and all public businesses stopped, courts of law closed their doors and no criminals could be punished. Families held banquets. Even slaves were free to attend the festival. The last days of the festival were spent visiting and exchanging gifts. They even decorated their temples with green boughs and flowers. And that's not Christmas, that was the Roman feast that's been described well before any time that uh, people have established the concept of uh, Christmas on the 24th of December, 25th of December as the birth of Christ. It even goes back, of course, further than that, even to the Babylonian days. We're not looking at that so much tonight, but we just remind ourselves that we're going through the date it was not the 25th of December. Verse 9 And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Well, I guess the catch cry could be, well, you could have fooled us. How about trying the Romanians and see whether they feel a lot of joy at this time of the year. Some people have been saying, isn't it wonderful? Just around about Christmas time, the European scene and people being freed and, uh, and um, walls being broken down and, uh, and uh, sort of a good relationship between people and so on. Uh, the people in Panama City tonight might be feeling very much in the Christmas season of things if that's what it's all about. And tragically enough, that's not what it's all about. It's not the sort of joy that we try and manufacture, which of course is here today and gone tomorrow. That's not what the Bible's talking about at all. And what a great pity that people sort of have a natural understanding and appreciation of this. 
And to help their joy, they've got to give themselves a little bit extra. The keg's got to be opened up. The party's got to be on. The festivities have got to be there. The banquet's got to be uh, presented because people of themselves have not got that joy. The world is still corrupt. There are still wars and rumours of wars. There's still earthquakes and famines and pestilences. Try talking to the Ethiopians over the Christmas season. See how they feel about what we're doing here in Australia. And all the things that uh, the Bible describes about and the violence and the crime and the immorality and, uh, and all the pestilences and so on are taking place across the globe. They're still here. They're not seasonal. They don't come and go because there's a, a so-called Christmas season or maybe at Easter time things just drop off a little bit. Quite the opposite. There are more family problems at Christmas time than any other time of the year. There are more difficulties on the roads. There are more difficulties at work. There are more difficulties in practically every aspect of society at Christmas time than any other time in the year. Oh, people make some sort of endeavour, but their endeavours, of course, are, are purely natural and they're not really motivated from the heart nor from really uh, uh, proper feelings and so on, but rather because it's, it's just nominated. That's the time and, and we're supposed to have a certain attitude at this time of the year. And Satan has certainly fooled us if, we're, if people are starting to believe that this is the, the joyous and happy and merry time of the year. It's not. And they've missed the point anyway. They've tragically got it all wrong. But there is a joy to be had. Uh, the message was there just the same. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. He wasn't joking, but it's not the sort of joy that the world is endeavouring to manufacture. The Bible does speak about a joy. It's the joy of the Holy Ghost. Indeed, the Bible talks in Romans 14 about how that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, which I guess is about the two basic elements of Christmas, eating and drinking. By the way, it's always a bit of a problem, isn't it, at Christmas time? I, people always give you bottles of cashew nuts, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I love cashew nuts, and I don't mind. And if you invite me around to your caravan, and you've got plum pudding, well, I'll share it with you by all means, and custard or ice cream or whatever. It's a bit of a worry, though. Usually I go on a pre-Christmas diet. Because over the year, a lot of others probably have the same problem, over the year you sort of develop a little bit in the wrong departments, and... Uh, and you find that suddenly when you go to your summer wardrobe that all your clothes have shrunk. It's a bit of a worry. I don't know what happens in the cupboard over the uh, summer, winter period. Obviously, it's the moisture in the air or something or other. And, and everything seems to get a bit smaller. So the idea is you've got to trim down a little bit. But this year I didn't get around to it, but I'm, I'm safe because I've been given a book called Calories Don't Count. And it tells you here, page after page, here it is, all the bits and pieces, Page up, calories don't count. There it is. Calories don't count if you eat standing up. This principle relates to the postural dispensation theory of dieting, which holds that food or drink consumed in a vertical position bypasses the digestive system and is chained into electrical energy that flows through the feet. Note, for best results, wear open-toed shoes. <laughs> On page two, calories don't count in the dark. What you don't see can't hurt you. <laughs> For calorie purposes, semi-darkness will suffice. Mars bars consumed in front of the television set or buttered popcorn at the movies have no calories when the lights are out. It is possible indeed to enjoy an entire seven-course banquet if the candlelight is sufficiently dim. And it goes on, calories don't count if you eat after midnight. Calories don't count if it doesn't taste good. 
Calories don't count if they're not on your plate. Keep in mind the possession rule or principle of dieting and weight maintenance. Other people's food has no calories. If your dining companion orders cheesecake and you eat half of it, your partner will gain all the weight. <laughs> Donuts, potato chips or Mars bars purchased in the name of children remain the calorie possession of those children, regardless of who eats them. And so it goes on all the way through. Uh, so it's a good little book and I'm just taking that to heart and hope it might work, but I don't think it's likely to. All right, let's have a look at where we're down to... Uh, we were talking about meat and drink, weren't we? I think in Romans 14, that's right. Romans 14, meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not the natural elements of this world. It's not in parties. It's not in the, the elements the world has put together at Christmas time or any other time of the year. The Bible says the kingdom of God, we're not turning it over, don't have to look to it. I'm still in Luke 2, I'm just quoting it. You've all turned back. Turn back to Luke 2 where you belong. Uh, the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but in righteousness, peace, Sorry, microphone. Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that's the message of Christmas. We're going to emphasise this tonight. I don't apologise for that. The message of Christmas is not some day or some season of the year. The message of Christmas is every day of every year. The message of Christmas is that there's joy to be had and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. And all the people said. And it's not in the paraphernalia that mankind has invented and the processes that we're involved in. The joy of the Holy Ghost is what the Lord's message is all about. It's what the angel claimed, uh, uh, claimed here for them. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Don't be apprehensive. Don't be uncertain. Don't be caught out by anything. For behold, I bring you good news. Great joy for anybody who wants to embrace it. Right down to verse uh, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And perhaps the, the message here is that what an incredible contrast. The world today sort of still has him, either in uh, swaddling clothes and a little nativity seen up on a window or whatever and a, a little baby pictures, or perhaps at Easter time they've got him on the cross. So the two main times of the year, they're the two main positions of Jesus Christ. Either a little manger totally useless as a baby, uh, really, in their estimation, of course, uh, just to be uh, uh, seen and, and, uh, and identified as cute or whatever, or he's in an agonising position on the cross of Calvary. And they've missed the point. These great invented traditions and doctrines and, and ceremonies and processes of men. And yet what the Bible's saying here is, yes, he's got to be born. Of course he had to be born. He was promised in the Old Testament, unto us a child is born in Isaiah 9. But it's not just the birth. It's the whole package deal. And what a great pity that in this season we go around, and I'm not against one another giving gifts, that's not the problem, because people are just missing the point. The problem isn't whether you and I give each other a gift or your children a gift, as Pastor John pointed out last night at the meeting, just in the preliminary section there, that sometimes people ask us what do we do and so on. It's of no consequence to us. That's not the point. We want to identify what the point is. It's certainly not a worry about whether or not, in fact, your children get gifts. And then he made the point last night that in the, the early stages, uh, he, he reasoned, and I think quite uh, appropriately, that uh, why should we disadvantage our children? Why should we have them having to say, oh, it's against our religion as such? We love our children. There are things that they need, uh, things they can enjoy, things they can participate in. But that's got nothing to do with Christmas. That's got nothing to do with the Christ Mass, the anointed feast. 
Indeed, if we're talking about Jesus Christ's birthday, then we ought to be giving him a present, if that's the case. But indeed, it's the other way around. The real gift was that Jesus Christ was given to us. That's the good news. Not as just a baby. It started off that way. But Jesus Christ was given to the world as a package, a present in its completeness. Yes, as a baby and as growing up, year 12, he decided to to be identified once again as he said, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. He identified what he was on this planet for. And as he went down to the banks of the River Jordan at the age of 30, he fulfilled all righteousness. He got baptised by full immersion. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. He went about ministering the gospel. He gave the package deal to people. He gave them the good news. He was the representation, the gift from heaven. He was the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was the gift of righteousness. He was the gift of eternal life. He was the unspeakable gift the Bible speaks about. He was all things that was promised right here at this moment. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Jesus Christ. Oh yes, identified here in in lowly estate, in a stable. He didn't come the first time to be king. He came to be king of our lives, but he's coming back to be king of kings. But what a contrast in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, Jesus, saviour, which is Christ, master, anointed, the Lord. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so he was king of kings and lord of lords. And when he spoke, he spoke about this kingdom over which he was the sovereign ruler. He said in John 3, you will not see this kingdom unless you're born again of the water and the spirit. You won't be a participator in my kingdom. You won't be part of my realm unless you're baptised in water. We've got a baptismal tank already for you tonight, full of nice warm water. And baptised, filled with my spirit. In John 4, just over the page, he said about the time has come when now true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in John 7, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and out of his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the spirit which they that believed on him were to receive. And in John 14, I will not leave you comfortless. I will, I will come unto you. And a little further on, I will send the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, to you. And so the promise is there. For unto us is born this day. The new birth is identified here in the birth of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ paved the way for you and I to be born again. That we might be involved in the kingdom of God. But what a contrast. And the world has got him still in swaddling clothes. I was a sign. This king, he wasn't born in a palace. This king wasn't born with the fanfare and the trumpets and and all the paraphernalia that might go with the the birth of a king in some particular land and nation. This king slipped into the world unnoticed. And he's been in the world for 2,000 years, virtually unnoticed, unrecognised, unidentified, unappreciated, unacknowledged. And who worships him today? And who acknowledges him as king in their life today? Well, hallelujah, we do, but very few people do. And they, they bandy around the terms uh, at this time of the year, perhaps, but they're certainly missing the point altogether. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So what do we do at Christmas time? We, 
we, we get these scriptures out and we say, oh, I see, well, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ supposedly and we're going to go through a, a few processes and buy each other a few gifts and put a Christmas tree up and get a few cards and remember your auntie for the first time in 12 months. Or you get cards from people who can't even remember who they were. Crazy things that happen and people give you socks that are the wrong size or, or whatever and you're collecting T-shirts by the hundreds because uh, they're ghastly or whatever and you've got all these different things that people give you and... Uh, and so on, and we go through all of these uh, uh, processes and we light candles and we sing carols and so on, and then we decide, yes, we better be a little more peaceful on this time, have a bit more goodwill to people. So we decide we'll come out of the trenches. And World War I, they came out of their trenches on Christmas Day, each of the Christmas days, and they, they had a beer together and shook hands and shared a few yarns and then went back into the trenches and shot each other. That's, that's the wonderful peace and goodwill towards men. And, uh, and we go around and we, we pay our respect to our mother-in-law for the first time in the year and try to get our way through from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock if we can until the cricket's on and, uh, and just get away from the, the table. And all the bits and pieces that we, we make uh, uh, approaches to do and promises to others and ourselves and so on. And then we decide that we're going to uh, uh, supposedly exercise uh, a proper attitude and good feelings and, and niceties to one another and so on. And we totally miss the point. Totally miss the point. And by the way, I'm not against you going over to your mother-in-law's place. If he's unsaved, go and eat a plum pudding and preach the gospel to her, by all means. And if she gives you a present, as long as it's not some sort of funny-looking tie, uh, then wear it in gratitude, by all means. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's got nothing to do with this verse. Nothing whatsoever. This verse, in fact, is not even translated properly. It says here, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The translation in the Greek reads this way. On earth... Peace among men of goodwill. It's not translated correctly. Indeed, the word goodwill there, if you just turn the page with me to chapter 3, just hold your page there because we're going to come back. And verse 22, perhaps verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, as John the Baptist baptizing people, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized, full immersion, the word baptizo, baptism in the Greek, uh, which we get the Greek word, uh, means full immersion. And praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And the voice came from heaven, verse 22 we're reading, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Those two words, well pleased, come from a Greek word, which is the same Greek word as goodwill. Same Greek word that has been translated here, Going back to chapter 2 and verse 14. Good will toward men. The Amplified gets it right. It says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. So there'll only be peace to those with whom God is well pleased. Who was he well pleased with? In Luke 3, he was well pleased with his son. Why was he well pleased with his son? Because his son had just been obedient to his will and purpose. His son had just submitted himself to water baptism as we read to fulfill all righteousness. And when he did that, the Holy Spirit was an obvious token from God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's obedient. He's submissive. He's put himself into my hands and he's fulfilled my will and purpose. That's the meaning of that verse. There's some good news, the Bible says. 
The good news is Jesus Christ is coming into the world. Jesus means saviour, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ means anointed, for he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and he will anoint people with the Holy Ghost. That's the good news. How do we make ourselves available for that good news? The Bible says it's only possible if we are well-pleasing to him. And I've just got some other versions here, so you, you see that every other version translated differently to the King James. I won't give you the names of all the versions. One says, peace on earth for all those pleasing him. Peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. And on earth his peace for men on whom his favour rests. Peace toward men of his good pleasure. And on earth peace among men in whom he finds pleasure. Another translation, peace on earth to men that are God's friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And so we're not talking about peace amongst ourselves. No doubt we should have that. We're not talking about goodwill amongst ourselves. That's not the impact of this verse at all. It's got nothing to do with each other. This verse is to do with our relationship with God. This verse is, it's all right. You are at enmity with God, the Creator. But there's some good news. Fear not. Relax. There's a remedy to this. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to make peace with those who are obedient. Those who find good pleasure with Him. We're going to come back to Luke 2. You might like to stick a little something in there and go over to Romans 8. For the sake of newer ones amongst us, we need to identify. And for older ones, just to reconfirm. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, verse 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Fleshly, natural, carnal, normal, everyday approach, natural man, natural ideas, man-made doctrines, terminologies, rituals, ceremonies, philosophies, traditions or whatever, cannot please God. The Bible says in verse 9, however, the solution to it, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. And we read these verses often because we've got to have a contention with some people who don't seem to understand their Bibles. The end of verse 9 says, Now, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, he is none of his. We remind people, the New English Version says, unless a person possesses the Holy Spirit, he is not a Christian at all. So on the one hand, we're identifying very clearly that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're obviously in the flesh, you're not in the Spirit. And if you're in the flesh and not in the Spirit, you can't please God. And where does that leave us? Go back to uh, uh, verse 7. The carnal mind is enmity, at war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So without the Holy Spirit, in the flesh, in a normal, everyday environment, even if we've got a few religious words tacked to our, our phrases, even if we go to some religious places or organisation, if we're not spirit-filled, if we're not born again, if we don't have God's Spirit in us, then we're natural people. And if we're natural people, there is no peace with God. We're at war with God. And that's what Jesus Christ came into the world for, to remedy that situation. We had no relationship. We were estranged from God. We were aliens. We were fighting Him. We were betraying Him. We had animosity towards Him. He was opposed to us because of our sin. We had betrayed Him in every department. And, of course, we had to pay the penalty for that. What's the answer? 
verse 6, tells us to be carnally minded as death. We've identified that. But to be spiritually minded, to be minding the things of the Spirit, is life, the gift of eternal life, and peace. Peace toward all men. All men that find good pleasure. All men that are obedient. All men that are well-pleasing. All men that are submissive. All people, of course, in the men case, we're talking about mankind, of course, human beings. We're talking about those prepared to do it God's way. There will be peace for those who do it God's way. There'll be comfort. There'll be joy. There'll be righteousness. There'll be reassurance. There'll be confidence. There'll be an uplifting. There'll be all the things that are good and appropriate and, uh, and special from God. But only to those who do it God's way. And that's what those scriptures are telling us, of course. Let's go back to Luke 2. Did you put something there? Luke 2. In Philippians 4 it says, The peace of God that passes all understanding. The world doesn't understand it. The world's grappling around trying to find peace amongst themselves. I don't begrudge them their efforts as such, but it's fragile and uncertain. And it does involve uh, uh, things like President Bush deciding we'd better invade Panama City to bring about peace. And so in the processes of peace, supposedly, and a, and a stabilised government, there are people who are going to die for that. They'll, they'll be resting in peace, unfortunately. It won't be the sort of peace the Bible speaks about. Indeed, Jesus said in John, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. And so we might decide not to scrap with our, our parents or our grandparents or our workmates or our wife or whatever uh, over the Christmas luncheon. We may decide that we're going to turn over some new leaves and we're going to do some New Year resolutions. We're going to change our lifestyle. It never works. And tragically enough, people uh, start off very well and, and before they know where they are, the kids are scrapping over the toys. And the parents are grabbing the horn to be trained, set off the kid because the father wants to play with it. And, and, and the father says to the child, hey, leave it alone because you, you'll break it. I know what you're supposed to do. Look, you go outside and play on the swing. I'll set the train set up. And the kid gets lost and he's crying out in the backyard because dad's pinched his train set or, or whatever, or big sister's taken the doll or what, all these sort of things. And there are more fights and scraps on Christmas afternoon than at any time of the year between families, amazingly enough. And unfortunately, it usually starts pretty early in the morning because the kids get up at 3 a.m. <laughs> And what's more, they come rushing in to tell you what they've got at 3 a.m. in the morning and who cares, we put it there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that. No smaller ones around, they won't know. Uh, Luke 2, we're looking at... Oh, no, I was going to read Philippians 4 from the Amplified. And God's peace be yours, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount and guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What an amazing passage. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 in the Amplified. Look it out one time and just to study it a bit longer. And God's peace be yours. It only comes with the Holy Ghost. You can't get any other way. The kingdom of God is not in meat and drink and, uh, and the natural processes. The kingdom of God is in righteousness, right standing with God through the gift of righteousness and peace through the gift of peace and joy through the gift of joy all bundled up in the Holy Ghost with wonderful wrapping. It's a great thrill to receive the Holy Ghost, as you know. And God's peace be yours. That harmonious relationship with God, that contentment and assurance within your own selves, that also a, a unity amongst the brethren too that only comes 
through the Holy Ghost experience. And God's peace be yours. It is yours through his spirit. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation. What an amazing line. A definition of peace. Peace is that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation. If you are in a state of peace, then you are in a tranquil state. A soul that's assured of your salvation. If we really understood that line in its fullness, then what would ever upset us? We're assured of salvation. We're going to live forever. We're going to to rise to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be accelerated into the kingdoms to come. We're going to be opening up presents forever. We're going to be having one great feast forever. We're going to be partaking of all the Christ-anointed mass feast for eternity. And we ought to therefore value that position now. All right, in Luke 2 and verse 14 it says, Glory to God. Yes, we certainly do glorify God and eulogize him and praise him and worship him and adore him and thank him and uh, and every other word that uh, we just uh, can identify, but not in word only, in deed obviously, in the highest and on earth peace towards those who are well pleasing to God. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. We will challenge people tonight, We have made something known unto you. The person that brought you along, no doubt, has made something known unto you. That there is a gift available. The gift of the Holy Spirit is available tonight. God's gift, the gift, the promise is available tonight. You have to wait for Christmas Day. January the 1st can be your Christmas Day. If the people, uh, there would be some, I'm sure, who received the Holy Spirit probably just after midnight. Anybody in that category who received the Holy Spirit at camp at all, perhaps on a New Year's Eve? Well, we've got one at least. I'm glad I didn't get totally neglected and rejected tonight. We've got one there. Well, that was Christmas Day then. My Christmas Day was uh, March the 1st, uh, almost 21 years ago. Your Christmas Day was when you partook of the anointing when you feasted upon the blessings of the Lord. And that's available tonight, of course, to you. And we encourage people to embrace that. And they came, verse 16, with haste. Yes, we'd encourage you to come with haste tonight. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The Amplified says, and by searching they found. Let's just go over to Luke chapter 11 while we're close by. We'll squeeze this in. We'll make some time here. Luke chapter 11. It talks about the Lord's Prayer. We haven't got time to look at that tonight. But the message of the Lord's Prayer is summed up in a later verse here. And in verse 9 of Luke 11, Jesus said, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Those words in the Greek are what are called present continuous verbs. I say unto you, Ask, and keep on asking. Be in a state of asking, and it shall be given you. Seek, and continue to seek, and you shall find. Knock, and continue to knock, and it shall be open unto you. And these are very active words. Uh, we know at this time a lot of asking gets done. The little children ask for the particular things that they want. They might at any time of the year. They might go down to Rundle Mall, and, and they suddenly go past the ice cream cart, and it's a tug on mum's dress. I want an ice cream. I want an ice cream. I want an ice cream. Get lost. Get lost. I want an ice cream. And they ask and keep on asking till they wear mum down. And I'll be quiet. Here's an ice cream. And it works. Seek and you shall find. The message of asking is a a desiring and a craving and a persistence. The same word as seeking. If you've lost something in your lounge room, 
Yeah, and it's very important and valuable to you. Maybe it's your $2,500 engagement ring and you've, you've misplaced it and your husband's due home in 15 minutes. What will you do? Will you go up to the, uh, perhaps the lounge and, uh, and look under the first uh, uh, thing over there and say, uh, oh, it's not be found, I won't worry about it. You might go to the lounge room and turn the furniture upside down and rip the upholstery apart until you find that thing. You've got to get it on your finger in 15 minutes before he comes through the door and kisses your hand as he normally does and notices it's missing. How ridiculous. The word seek means that sort of seeking though. To really turn the place upside down until you find what you're searching for. And the word knock is not just a casual oh nobody's home. It's to belt the door down because you know nobody's home and they're not answering just yet but you're going to get them to come to the door even if you smash it through with an axe. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Get into it. For in verse 10, everyone that asks and keeps on asking receives. And he that seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And him that knocks and keeps on knocking, it shall be opened. What are we talking about? Well, anything you like, really, you can approach the Lord for any particular needs. But in this set of verses, it goes down to verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... And it happens more at Christmas time. But what's it all about? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit that gift to them that ask him? The message of the Lord's Prayer, the message of these verses are all about the Holy Ghost experience. The message of Christmas, the message of Easter, the message of any other time of the year, the message of your birthday or Mother's Day or Father's Day or anything you like to invent is all about getting the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's go back to Luke 2. They made their response, they got their reward. They found the promise that the angel had spoken about. And in verse 17, and when they'd seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And so after they'd identified for themselves the fulfilment of this particular promise, which was the beginnings, of course, of, of the promise of the Holy Ghost experience, of becoming one with the Father, of being adopted into the family of God, of becoming a son and daughter of the living God. They proclaim the good news. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel is not some man-made idea or concept. The gospel is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The gospel message is repent, be baptized by full immersion and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the message. And uh, we take our excuses maybe to re-emphasize it again tonight. It won't make any difference because when Christmas comes and goes, we'll still be emphasizing the same thing. And as the new year rolls on and a new decade comes into operation, we'll still be saying the same thing. The Bible has been presenting this message now for 2,000 years. We won't be around for that long. The Lord may come back before this year ends. But as long as the Lord gives us, and as the revival centers for 40 years, we've been proclaiming the good news of a... Christmas occasion that is your gift from God and what a great, great pity there'll be people gathering around under their Christmas trees and so on and all the presents will be coming out and, uh, and, and he'll be thinking about God and God's gift he'll be thinking about the Holy Ghost experience you and I will be because we do that every day but the world will just be involved in uh, their bits and pieces some will open their presents and say <gasps> just what I wanted and it will be others will say is that the same thing and it'll be the most ghastly thing they've ever received. But they'll still say the same thing. Oh, just what I wanted, Mum. Another orange polka-dotted tie to go with the other six that you gave me over the last six years, or whatever. And so we have all of this hypocrisy 
and, and, and some joy, no doubt, in a, in a local sense, but all bypassing what it's really all about. The message is really that Jesus Christ was born that we might be born again. That was the real message. That we might live the life of Jesus Christ on this planet. That we might be born miraculously, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the new birth experience, that God might thunder out and he does as we speak in tongues. You know, every time that someone receives the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues in the baptismal tank or they speak in tongues in the prayer room or there or at home and so on, in effect, we are reliving these verses again. We are reliving the fact that Jesus Christ uh, had the Holy Ghost in the form of a dove descend upon him and God's voice thundered out and said, Well done. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And he'll say that to you tonight. You'll speak in tongues. You won't hear a voice from the corner of the room. You'll speak in tongues. But the moment you speak in tongues, peace, because of your goodwill, because you did God's will, because you were pleasing to him. And he's acknowledging the fact that you are well pleasing. And his voice thunders forth, the voice of the Spirit, the voice of God through us, as it were says to you and says to all of us, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And from there we grow, just as Jesus grew, in favour and wisdom and understanding. And we get about his father's business as we get about his father's business too. He did it, we did it. And he proclaimed the kingdom, we proclaimed the kingdom. He lived the example, we lived the example. He died to self, we died to self. He rose in glory, we rose in glory. And so the message of, of Jesus Christ in, in this uh, verses here is the message of our life. We've got to be born miraculously. We've got to be born of the Holy Ghost. We've got to live an overcoming miraculous life. We've got to make sure that we identify to the world that we are his special, anointed, chosen people. And we'll just conclude in Romans 8. I should have concluded five minutes ago, but since I've missed that, it doesn't matter now. Romans 8. I'm going to mention the little story I mentioned down at Moana about the, uh, the chap who gave uh, his uh, mother a present. I could squeeze that in, I suppose. It's it's sick, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's about the, uh, the chap that was brought up in very poor circumstances and uh, he, he finally made it good. I think he got to Texas and discovered some oil and became a millionaire and he wanted to, to repay a favour to his mother, uh, how that she'd obviously under very difficult circumstances looked after him for years and years and years, just a widow woman who uh, just on her own and in very uh, awkward circumstances. So he went to, he, he was aware that she liked animals and so on, so he went to a pet shop. He said, look, I want something totally unique for my mother, very special mother. I want to send her a Christmas present and I want something totally unique. And the bloke said, well, I've got a minor bird here, a bird from India. And this, this is a really special bird. It actually can say the Lord's Prayer. It can recite Psalm 23 without a mistake. And it can also go through, through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on the love chapter, word for word. Totally unique. There's nothing like this on the face of the earth. He said, however, it's very expensive, $27,000. Not worry about the expense. You uh, put it in a lovely cage and so on and you send it forth uh, uh, to my mother as a Christmas present, uh, love from me. Anyway, Christmas came and on Boxing Day he phoned up and he said, uh, the present? Yes. And what did you think? Did you like it? It's delicious. <laughs> Isn't that awful? <laughs> I don't know why I've told that. Told it twice, it's even worse. Uh, oh, we must conclude, must we? On a slightly better note. Uh, verse 13, For if we live after the flesh, eating minor birds, you shall die. 
But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Jesus Christ was a son of God. Let's not lose sight of that. Who do men say that I am? Am I just a little baby in swaddling clothes in the manger? Am I some other wise person, some prophet, some, some person with a, a moralistic approach to things, with some uh, code of ethics or whatever? Am I some prophet or priest or what am I? Whom do men say that I am? And, and they listed uh, when he asked these questions. He said to Peter, who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's the message. The message for you and I to take to the world every day. And if you're new here tonight, it's the message for you to embrace tonight. Who is Christ in your life? He's got to be the Christ, the anointed. Jesus has got to be that message in your life. He's got to be Christ, the Son of the living God. And you've got to be embracing that as the sons or daughters of the God, the same God as, uh, as he. Uh, verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer, endure with him, that we may be also glorified together. If we start off a miraculous birth as he did, we'll end up with a miraculous resurrection as he did too. And a miraculous ascension as he had as well. We'll be glorified with him. If you follow the footsteps of the master, if he is Lord in your life, if he is uh, the greater than King David, if he is the one whom we give glory on the highest to, then we're going to follow him all the way through to be seated with him in heavenly places on that trumpet day when Jesus Christ returns. 